at Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy uh, 4-0 for the first time since 1991 week. 27 years. Don't twist it. I was almost not alive yet. <laughs> I was I was alive for three and a half years. So I was neither, one. N- neither of us have any recollection of the 1991 Syracuse season. Such a shame. I was actually born. I was actually born just two, days right? ten and two. I was born just days after the uh, the Sugar Bowl fiasco. So really, I th- th- this was my fate the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> just it, it we, we should have known. It's uh anyway uh yep four and zero for the first time since ninety one as Dan mentioned. Admittedly, like it hasn't been the most impressive you know list of bodies in our wake, but at the same time, like I'm not gonna. I'm not going to discount 4-0 because, A, I've always petitioned for, you know, crappier scheduling so that we can win games more easily. And, two, it's not our fault that Florida State was terrible. And we've also looked convincing, like, in these wins. It's not—I mean, even the Western Michigan game, it was a it was a one-quarter kind of lapse. And beyond that, like, SU looked really good. SU looked really dominant against UConn. I mean, they decided in the second quarter to, to mess around, and we'll talk about that. But in general, like the fact that we could afford to mess around and still win by 30, I think, speaks volumes about where this team's at. Yeah, I think Phil C's number set is at a 99.9% chance to win based on our performance. So Which is insane. I think that's pretty... <laughs> yeah, I don't know how many... I don't stroll through the bot stores all the time, but like I don't know how many hundreds, like true hundreds he gets, but it feels pretty good. I feel like that's a pretty good number to hit. Yeah, we. Uh, I don't know if you saw my uh, tweet from earlier and what I put up in Slack, the screenshot of the first three drives, and it was... I think it was 13 of 19 plays were either a first down or a touchdown. I did see that. And also, like, I think all but, like, two or three were, like, for at least, like, four or five yards. Like, yeah. at least a good chunk of, like, on, on pace getting a first down with a play, which I think is a pretty good barometer. I think what was the – they don't do it anymore. I think EDSBS used to do, like, the spike ratings where it was yeah. basically, like, every play that went for no yardage or negative. And, like, there were occasionally teams – I mean, I think probably Syracuse on that list for some of the more ineffective offensive teams, but they'd be like – Most of the Schaefer years. <laughs> yeah, like like 30% of plays on, in one game, and that's, like, absolutely atrocious. And yeah. that was basically, like, what Florida State did with us yesterday. UConn, I actually thought we predicted pretty well – I know you were a little more cautious than I was, but, like, with how the game played out, like, Pindell made some, made some plays, but he was really the only one – there were a couple bad drives, which is, you know, par for the course, but, you know, they kind of came right in that one chunk that always happens in the second or third quarter. But otherwise, like, it was pretty much total domination, despite the fact that I don't think Syracuse even played, like, an A game. I think it was probably a B to B-plus game. Yeah, I mean, the fact that we had that much of a win probability, um, despite playing a yeah, B-plus game, I mean, I, I mentioned earlier, like, and we talked about it on Twitter during the game, like, the second quarter, like, we just kind of, like, just effed around. The entire time, like, we didn't really do anything that made sense. Um, Stephen Bailey was even joking that, like, yeah, we just got to test out the third and 34 offense. It just seemed like we weren't really doing anything with any sort of purpose. The run game was working really well, and then we decided to pass. 
the pass game started working to some extent, and then we decided to like run up the gut. Like, I I, I wasn't sure what happened, and like I'm doing the rewatch tonight, so we'll, we'll see how that goes. But based on like my preliminary relook at the box score, once we got past like the second drive of the second quarter, I felt like something went wrong, and then. That sort of continued into the third, really, until Riley's uh, punt return. Yeah, it was a weird stretch. Uh, I feel like we have one of those, like, almost every game slash, like, a full quarter against Western Michigan, but obviously that was a little more dramatic. But we weathered it, which is uh, something I feel like we didn't, we haven't done the last two years. Like, where we hit those stids last years where we fell out of games, and now we're, like, getting over it, which is nice. Well, yeah, and also the fact that, like, against a lesser team, we're just able to power right through it anyway. I, I said it during the game, too, like, we were between the, the missed pass interference call um, on the Nike Johnson to Devin Butler throw, which was a nice change up from Babers uh, from the usual combo you would expect there since Butler was a quarterback at one point. Um, and then also the fumble on the one from, uh, from Jarvin Howard, which was ironic considering that Babers specifically pointed out the fact that Howard took care of the ball um with with guys in pursuit last week and that's why he had so much faith in him and then for him to have pretty much the exact same play with a completely different outcome this week could have taken as much as you know 10 to 11 points off the board um so yeah this could have been an even more resounding win so i think to me uh, i'm impressed i like the fact that we're not just beating lesser teams anymore that we're really like kind of trouncing them i mean uconn could have potentially you know, made it more of a game. I think they honestly might have if it, if they'd gotten that first touchdown, which they seemed well on track to do before Pindell fumbled. But yeah, I'll obviously take a 30-point win against anybody. Yeah, I mean, UConn's not good, but uh, I still don't think they were probably quite as bad as like the advanced numbers made them look. And we'll see how that bears out in the AAC. They might just be that bad, and we were like a little soppy for a while. Their defense but is absolute trash. Their defense is horrible. I mean, how many... The bubble screens they... that we were able to, that we were able to just just toss out there without any care in the world and just seven, eight yards at, at a clip. I think they were very, very afraid of Custis, and it showed because he had that one drop again, right. but they were very afraid of Custis just beating them deep all game long, so they were playing these, like, eight to ten yard bubbles off of the streams, and Dungy was very, very content to just dump them off and gain almost a first down before even, like, approaching contact, so... Um, I get, I get when your defensive backs are not good. Like we've seen this with our team. Like when our like defensive two years backs ago. are not good, yeah, you try to adjust and, and prevent like those huge plays. But they were just giving Syracuse whatever it wanted. And then like the, the interior of the defense, I'm encouraged by our rushing stats. I'm still not convinced we're a great running team. Um, certainly not the type of running team that we showed against UConn. We're a much better but running man, team we, now. <laughs> we're a, we're a, we're an improved running team for sure. But we were still, like, under four yards of carry, I think, as a team entering this game or, or right around there, and we're up to 5.3, and that's because we just absolutely gashed UConn for an entire an entire game with everyone, basically. It's definitely encouraging, and it was cool to see that kind of balance. And, and even, like, looking at the, the, the year numbers, we've even before, like, the efficiency of this game, we've had, like, a, a real renewed commitment to the run and at least getting something out of it to where we have, I think we have almost 120 more rushing yards than... Uh, than passing yards, which is impressive. And a lot of that's because we've been running the clock. But still, we've only thrown 126 passes and 208 carries. And we've talked a lot about uh, in the past about how Babers wants a more balanced offense. And if you look at the Bowling Green, I think they were like 55-45 run this yeah. last year. This is even like out of skew based on how the games have gone. It, it, it's kind of a signifier of like what we're, we're, we're moving closer towards what he wants ideally 
even when we're still in the Eric Dungey experience, which is a bit different than what, you know, we will look like in the future, I think. Yeah, and I mean, admittedly, too, I find the reason I do my play calling breakdown the way I do it is instead of just tallying, you know, base runs versus basic passes, I do break it down with, you know, called runs versus called passes. And, like, at this point, too, Dungey makes it pretty clear when it's a called run versus when he's just scrambling out of the pocket. Um, and, and nonetheless, like, that play call percentage is is still in favor of the run, but we, we obviously get the, the much bigger swing based on those scrambles and stuff. Honestly, like, I, I'm really impressed with how the offense has looked. It looks much more like Bayers has intended. Uh, Mo Neal is a is becoming like a real legit feature back. I'm assuming that he he's able to kind of make up the difference at this point uh, that kind of had Strickland in front of him um, when it comes to blocking and calling out the coverages. I think Strickland could get a lot of work on the inside, you know, as a receiver. I think in general, like it was great to see when you mentioned UConn playing off guys, what, what they were not realizing or not adjusting to was the fact that you know, it wasn't just that we were going to be able to catch that ball in open space, but we we had you know Nikeem Johnson and uh, and Sean Riley, two of the fastest players on the on the entire field on either side of the ball. You know, catching it in open space and being able to make plays happen. I mean, a bunch of those screens went for twelve to to, to fifteen yards. You know, no problem. I think um, we're not going to get that every game, obviously. But the announcers seemed surprised that we were not you know throwing it downfield. And honestly, like. Why bother? Like, to me, if, if you're going to be able to throw a screen and pick up 20 yards, as we did a couple times, like, I don't know, Dan, like, wh- why would you bother throwing into potentially double coverage on Custis, who is really still not that reliable of a deep ball threat, when, when you can just, you know, pick up those that, that, that 40-yard gain and maybe three to four plays at most, um, just dinking and dunking down the field? No, that's absolutely right. I mean, I think... I think we've described Babers and his better games like when he's play calling as the guy who you find the one play in Madden that year that works um, like pretty much every time and he'll run the play every time. It's fine. Uh, those of us who have like a conscience when play calling uh, in a video game will like get tired of running that like weird tight end Z route that you oh, yeah. hit like every single time in Madden <laughs> 07 or whatever where you'd pick up a first down 85% of the time you threw it. Babers will throw it every every time if they're just not going to stop it. So um, I appreciate that. I think that's... Uh, that's a good trait to have in your play call or not, not abandoning something that's clearly working even when, like, you think preemptively that they should get to catch on to it. He's just going to do what works, and uh, there have been times where he's gone away from it a little bit, and that's where I feel like we've gotten in trouble like we did in this game a bit, but overall he's pretty good about that. Oh, completely. I mean, yeah, like you alluded to. I know when, like, Moniel and Strickland were just gashing them up the middle, even Howard before the fumble— gashing them up the middle it was weird that we suddenly went to like a, a passing game at one point in the second quarter but again no harm no foul on this one maybe Babers is just trying to work out some kinks against an opponent that we were that we can uh do that against we can talk a little bit more about this game i also want to bring up a, a, a victory on, on my end at least uh from my account according to the ap orange is now plural when referring to the syracuse orange i've been doing this for years sean has been doing this for years dan i know you are a holdout, but the AP now rules that it is correct, and I just want to take my victory lap. I, I don't have a major problem with... <laughs> I, I really don't have much of a problem at all with the nickname part, um, and I actually kind of appreciate they've, they've ruled, apparently ruled this in August and no one knew, or, or clarified it in August, because definitely when I started doing sports writing, this was not clarified at all. Right. It was basically like by the publication. Um, and uh, granted, people don't have to follow AP rules, but it's easiest that way. Um, so I appreciate this. I really, really, really hate the thing they do in England 
where they call a club name or a city name um, and they use the plural uh, R, like Manchester United R. That drives me insane. I don't really mind saying the Crimson Tide R or the Orange R. That doesn't sound that bad to me. And I appreciate also that it's Syracuse is. Syracuse is one thing. I just, I, I'm okay with I'm okay with the clarification here, um, even if I was generally using the singular because that just felt like the correct thing to do English wise for me. Fair, yeah. I always did that with with that, and I did it with bands too, like sing like so like Radiohead. I always referred to Radiohead, as, like I, I I wanted to use R, and I feel like I would like get into it sometimes with like editors about like what it actually was. It, it's a weird thing because it's like, are you referring to multiple people or are you referring to one band? Right. And that's yeah, it's the same same deal there. Um, I don't mind that as much either. Like, it's just the it's like when you're saying you know New York City, you're saying New York City is therefore like Syracuse is that that's like the one part of that that I have some weird like language passion about. The the did name doesn't really bother me, and I'm glad to to actually know what to be confident about using one thing. I don't really care which it is. Well, I think in English, I mean, I think in like not just English soccer, but like European soccer in general too, because they don't have the same naming conventions the way, like, North American teams do. I think that's probably part of the problem. Yeah, that makes sense. It just seems so, I don't know, it just sounds, it's always sounded wrong to me, and it's right. bothered me forever. Can't blame you there. Um, another victory that I'll point out, and this is more of a loss for another team, um, and sorry we got the timestamp wrong on the predicted time this would come up. Um, Oregon lost this weekend, and it was a lot of fun to watch. Because <laughs> granted, like they really shouldn't have lost. They really shouldn't have lost, but they did, and that's what counts here. <laughs> Stanford came back and uh, and pretty much lucked their way into what's going to be one of the weirdest wins you've seen in the last like probably year or two, and that's totally fine. We won it overtime, thirty-eight, thirty-one. A lot of Oregon fans are pretty angry and can't really blame them, but at the same time. You know what? The fact that Oregon matters again, and then also it matters so much that they lose, just 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 a real good time for me after a couple of years break from it. Yeah, I, it was one of those rare games where a team got, in my opinion, as a very neutral observer here, I don't have the Oregon hate you do. I do enjoy Stanford generally. Um, got jobbed by a really questionable call on that overturned touchdown. It immediately turned into basically a 14-point swing, uh, literally, what the next play was the fumble, yeah. uh, the snap over Herbert's head, which resulted in the 98-99 yard fumble return. Yep. And then, um, and Bryce Love punched it in that. afterward. <laughs> they 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 bounced back. They got all the way to where they had the ball with like 51 seconds left on on second down, and could take two knees and then like do like the thing that Washington did literally later in the night and snap, uh, do a deep snap to Herbert. He could just run around for a while and then maybe pooch punt it or something. Um, to kill the remaining clock, or just punt it and, and take your chances. But instead, they ran the ball, and uh, I forget the, the freshman running back, who looked really good otherwise, um, aside from like him accidentally stepping too close to the out-of-bounds line on the overturned touchdown, even though that play that call looked really bad to me. And then the fumble. He fumbles, running the puck out, and then Stanford wins on a miraculous catch in overtime. Uh, like, tip that up was to so himself. good. Like, everything that Stanford needed to have to win there, even the parts that they did and it wasn't, like, handed to them, were, like, unbelievable. And that's with, like, Oregon pretty much, like, not totally shutting down, but 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 keeping Bryce Love to, like, what, he had, like, 76 or 80 yards, I think. So, yeah, that was uh, one of the crazier games you'll ever see. And it worked out as a great primetime game. And honestly, like, if you think if you're an Oregon fan, after you get over this loss, which might take a while, like, 
I think it was a good sign for Oregon in terms of they had a very good Stanford team beat. Man, that loss, like, that happened to us. I don't even know if I would be able to, like, record right now. I'd be... Oh, yeah, I'd be in a rage. Traumatized. <laughs> I'd be in an absolute rage. But I'm not an Oregon fan, so I don't have to worry about it right now. That game was a lot of fun. There were a lot of other fun games. Um, I love Buffalo destroying Rutgers. Um, I love Louisville getting blown out, and I think Louisville's going to be really bad. I don't know. We don't, have to go, we don't have to go through, like, a full range of, uh, of results from this weekend. Um I saw the unfortunate news today, and this is not just because he's on my fantasy team, just unfortunate for him in general. I saw the Jeremy Larkin news today that he'll be retiring from football. Uh, the Northwestern running back had the, uh, I think it's a rare neck condition or spine condition. So he is uh, he's out. And that is just notable things from around college football. Uh, did see that a couple hours ago. An unfortunate bit of news. Yeah, it's really uh, definitely not what you want to see. No. There was, there's been a lot of like crazy injuries like on both levels. Um, the first couple weeks, which I guess isn't really rare or unexpected, but it is uh, definitely unfortunate. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, honestly, yeah, it's becoming more and more common. I think it's the type of thing where like, it's a lot more proof of probably why certain aspects of the game need to change a little bit. And uh, hopefully they do one day. Yep. But also I think sacking the quarterback should be illegal. Uh, I'm a Packers fan, if anyone doesn't <laughs> know that. And I think you should be able to sack the quarterback. I, I would agree with you, and I would I was glad that Syracuse was, was allowed to sack the quarterback at will on Saturday. As, as, it was funny. I was, like, watching the Syracuse game, and I was, like, I had, like, bad, like, visions of the Packers last three weeks, like, popping into my head. I'm like, oh, wait, college doesn't have the rule where you can't, like, land the way you were ever going to land while tackling the quarterback. And I totally get, like, that rule was, not to the NFL tangent, but, like, that rule was put into place largely because of the injury to Aaron Rodgers last year, right. where, like, the Vikings defender, like, basically flipped over him and, like, rolled over him and broke his collarbone. And, like, Clay Matthews has been called for... But, and the first one was, like, I get that. And, like, you're not supposed to, like, stoop slam the quarterback now, but, like, the, the last two weeks have been absolutely... Including the, the one that basically cost the Vikings game was... Oh, God. Makes me so angry. And it has nothing to do with the result of this, this week's game, still. Um, I'm all for... I'm all for rule changes that 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 should extend uh, the life of football and make it safer and make it like something that could like exist into the future. Uh, that ain't it. <laughs> yeah, that uh, without getting into an NFL tangent as well, I will I will say that I uh, I, I think they need to reevaluate some of their rules, to, to to say the least. From a player safety standpoint, from a watchability standpoint, there's a lot not to like about the NFL right now. Among other yep. things that I will not get into on this podcast. <laughs> Anyway, um, Syracuse sacked the quarterback quite a bit over the weekend. They, uh, they pretty much got pressure at will. It seemed like early on they weren't necessarily uh, getting after Pindell as much. He was getting time to throw. It was working. Um, Pindell also had, you know, later on that, uh, that 75-yard touchdown run that had me a little worried for a sec. But beyond that, uh, yeah, they pretty much got after him as much as they needed to. UConn obviously needed to throw the ball more because they were down by a lot. Alden Robinson being able to really kind of live up to what, you know, you and me and many others have been seeing for him as a, as a pass rusher for us is great. Kendall Coleman's definitely, you know, back in form at this point. I think seeing other guys get involved and you know, Cordy Whitner like got involved, you know, getting after the quarterback. So to me, like, I, I really love the opportunism of this defense. It was great to get, you know, another couple turnovers. Um, Andre Cisco, one of the luckiest interceptions I've ever seen just like kind of has the ball fall into his lap for his fourth pick of the year. Uh, I think the opportunism, and I know I I was talking to uh, 
to the Clemson blog, uh, Shaken Southland, about this um, in our like weekly Q and A uh, with our opponents. And it was saying like the opportunism really is like the the difference maker. I don't think the defense is playing uh, like so significantly better than it was for much of last year, but being more opportunistic and creating those turnovers and, and, and really grasping onto momentum, I, I think has been, you know, the big, big change for this group. Yeah. It's, it's something we just did not have last year. He, we had before so few turnovers. Uh, we famously, I think our last turnover in basically the second half of the season was Dungy forcing a fumble on an interception that he threw. Um, the most not... Eric Dungy thing ever. Yes. And this year, like we're still going to big plays. And I think that was always going to be like, kind of part of it, but but the reason you kind of play the defensive scheme you do is to get the ball back to the offense with good field position and take some chances and, and the risks and the uh, kind of the, some of the things you leave open end up being worth it when you force turnovers like we have this year. We have, I mean, obviously, Sisto has a pick every game. Is he the only one with a pick for us? Um, all the no. Him? Frederick, no, Frederick has, has a one. Frederick, has, I know, right now we have, and this is the weird thing, like, about the turnover stats, like, the, are the block punts that basically turn into fumbles, those don't count towards forced fumbles. So right now we have, I think, nine turnover, forced turnovers, and we only had 12 all of last year. And we've only thrown one pick, I think. I yeah. Don't think D- uh, Dungy threw one, and I don't think DeVito's thrown one. We had a couple fumbles. We have a couple um, fumbles, but we're still one of, the best tur- one of the best turnover margin teams, and we're one of the best teams in general just turning people over this year somehow. And again, we what, would be top five probably if you counted – you know, the, the those two block punts from the Wagner game. Um, but I think the more the more uh, sustainable thing, because turnovers really are not sustainable, um, at, especially fumbles, but that hasn't been as big a part. But even so, like, turnovers kind of change year to year a lot. The more sustainable thing, I think, is our pass rush, which I don't think Florida State and UConn are the best examples of teams that we should be basing this on. But we got so little pass rush the first two years under Babers, that I do think that there has been some serious, kind of like the rushing game. Like I don't know that the running game is going to translate it like it was against UConn, but I think we have we know enough now to say it is definitely better, like substantially better, even if it's not great. But it was great against UConn and Florida State, which probably have me in Florida State. We know their offensive line's a mess. UConn, I think we can imagine that it's a mess. Um, but Alton Robinson, like you said, three sacks. Um, he's been a monster all season. We uh, Kendall Coleman's been very good all season. The whole the whole front front line like we we had some some relatively good expectations for them coming in thought that they may take a step forward and i think it's it's really shown oh yeah i i think honestly like the fact that knock on wood they're healthy is just so key when we i mean you see guys like kenneth ruff getting involved josh black like guys who kind of had to take you know either a back seat for injury or they've had to be thrust in before they were ready to play and i think now we're seeing a much more natural rotation of, of guys up there. It's allowing us to redshirt players, get more mileage out of some guys. Like, I think Shaq Grossfinner, I don't think he's played since the opener. But, like, yeah, guys like that who, like, don't even necessarily need to get tossed in because we're, we're good with, with who we have and then, like, on the two deep. Like, to me, th- this is this is where you're starting to see that depth that, that Babers is building. And, like, I, I know there aren't, like, a ton of, of Schaefer defenders in terms of well, anything anymore, but especially on the depth front. Like, when you look at just how few players, you know, were left from the, the 2015 class that that, Baber, that Schaefer brought in and that Babers inherited, like, Babers started from scratch, and I think very quickly, at least to me, um, you know, probably best since Marone, maybe even better than Marone, really, based on the level of talent. 
um, is able to build up this group. And now you have, you know, two to three options at every position and guys that you're not necessarily scared to see them jump out there because they look like they're, they're power five caliber players. Yeah, I, I totally buy that. Uh, I do think we will, we will learn a lot more obviously this weekend. We have, uh, our, our long awaited revenge spot, um, which I'm pretty terrified about, even though I do think there's an argument to be made that Clemson's maybe our like least important game of the year. I don't think it's an important game at all. Yeah, I, uh, I mean, I, I mean, if we win, it sounds kind of ridiculous. But <laughs> if, and like a win would be so massive. If we win, it's super important. <laughs> like a win, a win is so much bigger than a loss for us in this game. Like we we kind of proved ourselves against them last year. Um, played one of our best games under Babers, maybe our best team under Babers. We, but like this year is about like actual sustained, like the whole, the whole, you know, not occasionally great, but, but, you know, always good thing. Um, beating Clemson again would be amazing. Uh, I think beating Clemson again and it like at five and oh with wins over bad teams and good teams, I think you set like expectations to a different level at that point. But well, that's in the stratosphere. Then, then, then you're a playoff contender. Well, then you literally are in the driver's seat to win the Atlantic, right? which would be ridiculous, but here we are. Um, <laughs> here we would be. We definitely aren't yet. But even if we lose by, like, 28, I don't think it really changes anything. Like, yeah. I think it'll be disappointing, but you are playing Clemson, and they are going to want – they're going to want to destroy us. Like, there is no looking ahead of Syracuse this year. Uh, we did that – we did this to ourselves, but and, – and I think it was totally worth it, obviously, but it's it's – if if the if the uh, win last year wasn't enough, the four zero thing this year, like Dabo will have a completely motivated team, and you know if we do lose by four touchdowns or five touchdowns or however much, like you you just have to brush it off and and know that this year is more about way more than that. Yeah, I mean it's the same thing with like SEC teams. You're gonna lose to Bama. It's fine. Like recover against everybody else, look good against everybody else. I mean to me the, the season is gonna be defined. I mean unless we somehow would be Clemson, which I don't think we're going to, and we'll get into predictions later. Like, unless we were able to beat Clemson, the season's going to come down to even more than the November stretch and, and, and avoiding the typical November collapse is, is, is the late October stretch. Well, not late, but the entire October stretch of Pitt, UNC, NC State, like, quote-unquote, peer programs within the ACC. If you go 2-1 and one or 3-0, and oh, you're bowling. And, like, you go 3-0, and oh, you're 7-1, and one, you're definitely ranked. Like, there's—that's where the season's going to come down to. I mean, I think Louisville's become— you know, much more likely to be a win. Wake Forest is was inched into toss-up territory. I think they're, Purdue put together a blueprint of what you might be able to do to BC to stop their offense. Like, I'm not going to entertain something like 10-2 and two until we get through, like, that middle stretch. Because, again, if you go 3-0 and in that middle stretch, all bets are off. Like, you could absolutely win double-digit games this year, either in the regular season or with the bowl game. But realistically, like... Even even most conservative probabilities have us sitting somewhere in the seven and a half to eight win range now, and like I'm excited about that. I just don't want to get ahead of myself and hope SU fans. I know it's hard, but need to find some way to to find a balance between like the expectations of what really really could be and the expectations of what's most likely to be. Yeah, like even even if we only go six and six from a four and zero start, like that's that's where we still progress. it's very it's still progress, and like there's a very good chance we have beaten the four worst teams on our schedule, which is bizarre to say because it's Florida State. But still, at this point, like that's probably where we're at because the rest of the Atlantic is such a hodgepodge, and like it doesn't seem like anyone else is appreciably worse than Florida State. Maybe Louisville is, but we'll find out this weekend, I think. Yeah. But it'll be kind of it'll be disappointed admittedly if we finish up two and six here. 
but I think that's still like we got the sits wins the way we got them. Um, and we've seen so many years where we haven't gotten that sits win after decent starts that like baby steps, like you have to take incremental games where you can. And, uh, you know, and then, like you said, if we start winning like these toss up games or what we think are toss up games at this point, like by the munches, then we can, I think it's reasonable to start, uh, taking our view at, at bigger things. But I honestly think like at this point, like get the sits wins and then we'll see where we're at. Like then we re reevaluate. Totally. Yeah. And again, like all of us would have taken six wins going away um, before the season started. So let's not start moving the goalposts before we even get there. Um, uh, to me, six wins, no matter what happens this year, is success. And anything else, it, it's not gravy, but anything else proves okay. We, we, we accelerated the timeline. Yeah, absolutely. Like, just, it's, and it's going to be hard. I think some people will be disappointed if we end up at six and six. But, like, I get that to a point, but you just have to. You just have to know, like, the first four games looked great, but we, we still don't know so much about the teams that we have already played, and we don't know a lot about our team. And, and obviously, like, we've been pretty lucky with injuries so far. Obviously, Ravian Pierce is a is a bad loss, but we've seen how that's in fact, uh, impacted years. So there's still a lot of, like, there's a lot of things that, that are, are yet to come that we don't know about yet. So uh, at this point, sits and sits, I think, is still a, like, it has to be, Definitely the, the benchmark at this point, I think, though. I, I don't think... I, I, earlier in the year, we were, like, discussing, like, oh, maybe five wins wouldn't be too bad. I think six... I think we've bumped up to, like, we really, really need to get to a bowl <laughs> once you start 4-0. Yeah. Not that I think, like, we would fire Babers or anything, but, like, I, I think if we only win five games at this point, that would be pretty bitterly disappointing. Right. Uh, I mean, I mean, unless there's some sort of, like, absolute disaster in terms of injuries, um, yeah, I, I, I don't think there's any situation where we're something below six and six is acceptable anymore and that's fine um i i, I think it's realistic now at this point again at four and oh um but we're a little halftime and then we can talk a little bit more about clemson a little bit more about bowl potential and, and, and crap like that sounds good um i don't think i had like a hugely interesting beer weekend um since last time i did have a, a couple new things uh, I'd say the most notable was uh, I had a 300th Mosaic India IPA from Fulton Beer, which I believe is a Minnesota brewery that I'm now seeing a lot over here. I don't know what their distribution just did. Hmm. But everything I've had from them has been pretty solid, and this IPA was, was quite good. Definitely a nice hot profile, very drinkable. Uh, enjoyed that one. And then today I had uh, a pumpkin ale from Oyster Bay Brewing out on Long Island, which was solid. Not the, not the best one I've ever had, but um, definitely a, a good, easy drinker, uh, which I enjoyed. Nice, nice. Oh, and I also had uh, another one of after the after the Packers game. I had to break open one of the uh, White Oak ILIs, so I had that as well. Nice. Uh, had a few things on my end. Um, had from Boomtown over in the Arts District, LA. Had Mike Check, their uh, Check Pilsner. Had from Celador, it was a uh, Quad Hands saison. Uh, uh, just saison brewed with uh, Mandarin quats. Um, Picked up um, Beachwood Brewing has their uh, LBC uh, session IPA that I was having while I was just watching the uh, the Rams Chargers game over here, and then also picked up a four pack of uh, Modern Times uh, Spaceways. It's a New England IPA. I think is Nelson and Citra, maybe Galaxy too. I want to say it was a New England IPA, but it was brewed like very light. It was definitely, uh, I definitely would prefer it if more of the uh, the hazy IPAs were, were kind of along those just general outlines instead of uh, 
you know, kind of the, the hefty, oh, I just drank eight and a half percent hoppy juice and now I can't drive and oh no. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about it a couple yeah. times like, recently, <laughs> like diversity in, in the, in the beer scene is, is a good thing um, overall. So definitely support that. Sign me up. All right. Um, so Clemson, this, uh, we got some news today from Clemson's side, at least. Apparently, we're the we're the week where they are ready to to kind of gear things up because they switched their starting quarterback. I mean, Trevor Lawrence has definitely looked better than Kelly Bryant this year. Um, I'm still a little surprised though, because Kelly Bryant like basically was the guy for that Texas A&M win. But I think overall, Lawrence looked better. Yeah, and yeah, and that's the thing. Like, I wouldn't say that he's looked like overwhelmingly better. I mean, maybe Dabo just sees something in the secondary with with SU, and I wouldn't doubt it there. To, to say, like, I want the better passer out here. Um, I, I think because Lawrence isn't really much of a dual threat. No, Lawrence has only run for 24 yards. Uh, Bryant is tied for third uh, on their team in rushing, and he was a huge part of the rushing attack last year. We, we saw it happen when he wasn't in the game. It's interesting. I, I don't think you make this move, though, if you're not ready to make the move. Like, I don't think you're, you're making the switch for one game uh, and then moving back to Bryant unless Lawrence just looks completely overwhelmed, uh, which I doubt will be the case. Yeah, I mean, Clemson doesn't have, like, an amazing offensive line, but they're probably still top three in the conference. <laughs> and, like, I, I think in general, like, we're going to be able to generate some pressure, but I don't think that pressure is going to matter enough when you have the amount of speed they have. And really, like, if they decide, like, okay, like, Lawrence is just getting pressed a ton, that they can just tear us up with, you know, Etienne and the other running backs over there. I mean, Clemson's run the ball better this year, I think than they did last year, and they seem pretty committed to it. I find it very hard to believe that SU could win using the same general game plan we've used against these other teams. Yeah, no, the, I mean, the, def- the defensive line's terrifying. We've done over that a million times. They have four probably first-round picks starting uh, on the same defensive line, so that's fun. And then, like you said, their running game is pretty scary. Etienne's got to be one of the fastest, pure, like, straight-ahead speed guys. Uh, he's also very shifty. He's averaging, like, eight and a half per carry. And then Lindsay Dixon's also strong. Tevian Feaster's been there for a bit. He's uh, a good runner. Um, they just uh, and then Brian, if he's in, is a very strong runner from out of the backfield. And then they're, I feel like they're more well-rounded receiving-wise. Like they have four guys that are over 150 yards, but no one's over 200. And usually they have like that one uh, breakout guy, kind of like we've had the last couple of years, right. who ends up being like a first-round pick. Um, this year, I feel like it's pretty even between definitely those first three guys, T. Higgins, uh, Amari Rogers, and Justin Ross, and then Hunter Renfro is still. Still on the team. Somehow. Future New England <laughs> yes. Patriot, Hunter Renfro. Future future New England Patriot sits around pick Hunter Renfro. Still there. <laughs> Although, I don't know. Maybe the Pats need a lot more this year after uh, Tom Brady's uh, magic juice doesn't work anymore. Yeah, they're definitely, uh, <laughs> they're definitely not a Hunter Renfro away based on yesterday, at least. No. Yeah, you know, bringing up Etienne, I think, is, is, is the biggest part of this. Like, he's got five touchdowns already. He's got a 40-yarder in there. Like, everybody on this team's got a pretty much like the first top five rushers, including Bryant, all have, you know, runs for 25 or more yards at least once. Um, They're all averaging at least four yards carry. Bryant being the only one averaging less than five and a half. Um, I mean, last year, one of the biggest issues for Clemson in this game was against us was, you know, why weren't they just giving the ball to Etienne toward the end to just like, I think him, I don't know who else was in with him, but I remember like Clemson fans were sitting there like on Twitter, just going like, what the hell are we doing? Why aren't we running the ball? And, like, when you have a backup quarterback in, yeah, I would assume you just kind of hand that ball off, especially when they were running it really well against us. So 
Um, I think the defensive line's better this year. It's healthier this year. They're not going to be able to, to run the ball as well as they did last year, but that doesn't mean they won't be able to run the ball really well. And honestly, like, if Lawrence starts getting pressure and if you start seeing him under duress a little bit, I think they might go a little more ground game focused, and that's fine. But I would also think Bryant's probably more suited to execute on that. Yeah, I do wonder. I, I haven't read, like, the full quotes from, from Swinney. Has he said, like, if Bryant will still play? Uh, he hasn't. And honestly, like, I don't know how much of this is gamesmanship, too. Like, I mean, Babers is a smart guy. He's not just going to, like, only prepare for Lawrence. But at the same time, like, could be a little bit of, yeah, let's just see what happens. Like, and if they if they really, like, kind of lock down Lawrence somehow, be interesting to see if SU is ready to defend a healthy Bryant or not. Yeah, it is interesting to see Swinney go with like kind of the pragmatic move and name Lawrence the starter ahead. Because last year, remember, with Bryant Hurt, they did not go to Hunter Johnson, their other five-star quarterback, uh, who was here last year. <laughs> yes, who was transferred to Northwestern. And there's a, I mean, I we haven't seen much Hunter Johnson. He played a little bit last year. Um, I forget who's the other the other quarterback who also transferred um, to Jacksonville State. Was it? Yeah. Uh, or was it NCAA A and T? It was one of I those. think it was Jacksonville State. Um, who? Hunter Johnson's the one showing up in uh, in all the Google searches. Uh, Zara Cooper there is the go. one who came in. Yeah, that was and, a terrible uh, idea. They never was, should have done that. Yeah, and Cooper, <laughs> like, I think had, had ability, but it was, like, a weird spot for him to come in against a, a team that was, like, playing with, like, blood coming of its eyes. And uh, Johnson was definitely the higher upside player there, and Swinney went with the more experienced guy, which is definitively what he is not doing this week. So... Um, Definitely interesting. To, I mean, he's also making the change ahead of a home game, which I think helps. But uh, overall, I was I was surprised to see it. I thought we would get the same treatment the last couple teams have gotten because I, you know, Dabo's usually a guy. Uh, while well, he, he's fairly forward thinking as a head coach, he's usually a guy who does stick with his his veterans. And I thought Lawrence would get the starting job by year's end. I thought it would come much later. Yeah, and I mean, admittedly, like it's not like they've had much in terms of competition uh, to date to really like. Decide. I mean, A&M, sure, and, and A&M, like you said, Bryant was instrumental in that game. So, to me, I mean, maybe Bryant's, you know, chest injury that they talked about a couple of weeks ago is more significant than we think it is. Like, I mean, that's the only thing I, I mean, and again, like, if you're in the ACC, you don't have to file an injury report anymore. It, it's odd that anyone would commit to it if you don't have to. Yeah, for sure. It is weird. Um, looking at the other side of the ball, though, um, as anyone who's probably paid attention to college football in the last year knows, uh, Clemson's defensive line is very good. Uh, they got after us plenty last year, despite the fact that Syracuse won. Um, all those guys are back. So uh, despite the fact that I think the offensive line has improved, I still don't think it's as improved as we maybe thought it was in preseason. You've definitely seen Eric Dungy under pressure a lot. You've absolutely seen Tommy DeVito under pressure this year. I, I think that they're going to crash this line and test them early just to see what they can do. Um, and, and see what they're able to defend. I think it's going to tire them out over the course of the game. So uh, what we want to avoid there, though, is is that blitz resulting in, you know, those unnecessary hits on Dungy. I mean, Dungy's taken hits this year, but I think they've been smarter hits. He's a little bit bigger. Um, I think he's avoided a lot of the unnecessary hits, um, you know, after the action of the play is over. And they're one, then those are ones that he's taken quite a few of um, in previous seasons. So I think that's going to be key to, to just keep Dungy healthy for the full season is making sure that he's not getting, you know, mauled by, by four future first-round picks um, the, the entire game. Yeah, I think we've seen improvement from the offensive line 
uh, the last couple of games for sure um, after kind of a, another shaky FCS performance. Um, I mean, if they want to have like a recreation of what they did last year in Clemson, that'd be great. Um, I'm sure Clemson, the Clemson guys have definitely taken a step forward too, just by virtue of being, you know, a year older. But like, I do think that you know, they, at the very least, the guys who played it in some last year won't be spooked about playing, you know, such an elite unit. They, they beat them last year and they pretty much neutralized them for the most part. Obviously, Dungey had some guys after him, but he was able, you know, to make some things happen with his legs. But overall, I think we got as good a performance as you could have asked for last season. And if we can get something close to that, I think we'll, we'll you know, do ourselves pretty well. Oh, yeah, no, I completely agree. I think that, that that experience from last year is going to help a lot of these guys. So many of these guys were, I mean, we brought back most of our starters. So I, I think having so many guys, you know, save the linebackers back is great. Um, unfortunately, there's not really a ton of players left. I think, what, Cordy might be the only one that's still there from the uh, that god-awful 16-6 to loss uh down in death valley uh four years ago uh so that experience isn't necessarily gonna um help much although that was a pretty good clemson team and that was a pretty bad syracuse team and they were able to keep it within 10 which is you know like scott Schaefer's team's claim to fame they were able to lose the top 10 teams by 10 more often than not I'm worried, too, about—I know we mentioned some of these concerns already. Uh, I'm also a little bit worried about just kind of how these safeties, um, you know, bottle up the long passing game. We're not going to be able to, to, to complete the sort of um, screens that we did against UConn in particular. We're not going to be able to, to just gash the middle of the line the way we did against UConn. Um, so we're probably going to need some, some, some deep balls. And, you know, that's where guys like Steve Ishmael came in handy. I'm uh, at a towel before him. Like this year, Custis has a, has a bad case of drops, um, you know, on deep balls. That's been the case his entire SU career when he's healthy even. If we don't have him, I don't really know who else is going to be able to catch those deep balls. And Clemson safeties are experienced. Uh, you know, Tanner Muse was, I believe, was it a fumble last year? He had a key turnover last year against Syracuse that almost like swung the game. And he, he's experienced enough to be able to to kind of bottle up those defenders and, and, and I, well, bottle up those receivers, excuse me. I'm really, I'm concerned about how we're able to really get some space, you know, behind the first line of this defense and, and make big plays because we're not going to necessarily just be able to run the ball. Um, you know, the, the long ball was a big part of the, the win last year. And without it, I, things do get a little more dicey on offense. Yeah, I hope that, that the first game uh, of the year is at least enough uh, to show that Custis needs to be dealt with uh, as a deep threat, even though he has had the drops he's since. Um, but hopefully they respect him enough to, to give safety help there because he is a mismatch over pretty much any cornerback you'll find um, size-wise, if not ability-wise. Um, and that can open up some things over the middle for the for the Nike Johnsons and the and the Sean Rileys who had mid-games last week. And we could kind of pick apart the defense in the middle that way. Because um, otherwise, like, if we can't, if we can't, prove a credible threat over the top, then it's going to be much more difficult, like you said. Yeah, and honestly, like, without Pierce, too, um, that's another guy who could have created mismatches. I think we're going to rely pretty heavily on, I mean, you know, podcast favorite Nikeem Johnson um, on on this one because, I mean, in not limited action, but I'd say, like, he hasn't really, we haven't seen everything Nikeem Johnson can do for us just yet, and I feel like he's still been impressive as hell. Um, so I, I, I'm looking forward to seeing what's probably going to be a very Nikeem heavy game plan this, uh, this Saturday. I mean, I think he's pretty, pretty much solidified his, uh, 
his space in like the top three, and that doesn't include uh, Butler, uh, which is uh, obviously very surprising considering where we were heading into the season with. But uh, I think it's it's him, him, Custis, and uh, and Riley are, are pretty pretty locked in as the top three receiving threats at this point. I, I would say one person on the outside, if if Custis really can't like get it together on a deep ball, a guy who has caught a couple deeper passes is Taj Harris. Yeah, he's. I mean, he. I feel like he, they're still working up his workload, but he has been pretty impressive. Well, he operates really well on the sideline. Like, just completely understands how to position himself against defenders. Obviously, he had that pass down the middle um, against Florida State that he caught. The guy just like, he just knows what he's doing in a better way than than most of the other younger players. I'm actually surprised he's been able to to kind of leap over a lot of these other guys that we were super excited about from a couple of years ago. I mean, not to say that they can't figure it out, but, you know, guys like Cameron Jordan, guys like RTB, like, to see to see Harris be able to, to kind of jump in over those guys already um, is at least interesting to me. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it speaks well of the recruiting efforts last couple of years. Agreed, agreed. Everyone everyone forgets that we got a... We, we, we have a very large stable of, uh, of wide receivers with, like, four years of eligibility left. Yep, and we haven't even seen, like, Ed Hendricks, who was probably the most touted one um, of the last two recruiting classes, and he's, he's, he's hurt, right, and he's redshirting? Yeah, he's going to medical redshirt, so he'll be, he'll be out. But, yeah, he, he's, yeah he's a guy who, who could definitely jump in this, next year. I mean, Custis is really the only major guy we lose, and we're almost too flush with receivers now. Yeah, we, we definitely need some guys to separate themselves, which I think we are starting to see, because Riley has another year. He's Yeah, he's Riley, Riley's a junior, Butler's a junior. Um, this is exactly what you and I kind of were talking about for months, though, leading up to the season, is that you weren't going to see that one breakout guy, but you might see, like, you know, three guys or so, like, end up in the 60 to, like, 65 catch range, and it look a lot more balanced than it has in the past. And I think you're seeing Eric Dungey become a better passer because of it, because he's not, I mean, he's not the most accurate guy in the world, but he was super accurate last week. And, and he just, I mean, part of that UConn's defense sucks, but... Dungy is showing that he's going through progressions and he's finding different receivers and he's not just locking in on a guy because when Dungy was at his worst last year, it was when he just had no faith in anyone except for, you know, Irvin Phillips and, and uh, Steve Ishmael. And he would throw to them no matter how many guys were around him. No, he's definitely making better reads. And you've seen that. I mean, his, his he was never a huge interception guy, um, but his, his interceptions are obviously way down the as the one. Um, he's definitely spreading it around more effectively. I think he's just fitting into the scheme better. Um, and then, like you said, uh, overall, like it's basically a pretty big gap between Custis, Rally, and Johnson and everyone else. Uh, they are all on pace to average to, to finish up. Johnson's on pace for 39 catches. Custis is on pace for 51, but I think that'll ramp up because we just haven't had to throw the ball that much. Right. So the passing numbers should keep on moving as we're gonna we're going to inevitably be in some games that we are not ahead in. Uh, in like the second half and aren't have the opportunity to rest our starters so much. So I think you'll see uh, Dungy's numbers. Like right now, he's only on pace for like 2,200 or so passing yards. Obviously, didn't play for large swaths of the first four games. Um, I think he'll definitely end with like over 3,000 just because there are going to be some shootouts here, I think, and there'll be some games that we're playing catch up in. So um, I think we'll still see some darting numbers. He's also on pace for 1,000 rushing yards, which I think he probably will get uh, or at Wolfram Close, which will be pretty crazy. Yeah, that, that, that's nuts, I think. Like, of all the records that he might be able to set this year, that I think that one was probably the least likely in my mind. And and that might end up being one of the first to go. The quarterback um, rushing record? Yeah. 
Yeah, how far off is he now? He's he is. I don't. He's not going to get the career mark because Bill Hurley had something like 2,600. But he he already passed McNabb. He already passed McPherson. Like he's definitely. I think he's going to get the, the single season mark, which I don't really know what that is off the top of my head. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine it's that close to what he's going to, you know, what he's going to end yeah. up with. I mean, I'd be shocked if he ended up with less than 900 at this point. He's at 380 already. Yeah, he's kind of effortlessly just, like, rushing for 80 yards at this point and, like, not getting hit, which is even better. Um, yeah, I think I think we can say on, like, count on, what, maybe two big hits he's taken this year. The one the one of the uh, that base didn't knock him out, but it looked like he might have knocked him out of the Florida State game and ended yeah. up not being that case. Also, we should note, like, we've been concerned about Dungey's health, like, just basically since the Western Michigan game, uh, he definitely looked the healthiest he's looked all year against UConn, um, throwing yeah. the ball. Arm uh, issues so, were gone. Whatever the hell was the, the shoulder tape was gone too. Yeah, so I guess you know I think we were being probably a little bit alarmist, which is not the craziest thing considering his, his history. But uh, those were all very good signs. Yeah, he also I noticed is just more on his like track record. He's got, I think he's now like number eight or nine on the all-time rushing touchdown list for Syracuse. Yeah, he's pretty far up there. Which is, like, crazy. ridiculous. I mean, part of that's that we just are so in, incapable of doing anything else in the inside the 10, and that right. didn't really change this past weekend. Although, uh, although, although why would you? If, if nothing else, like, if you've got a guy who can almost who can almost definitely get you in every single time. I'm fine with it, uh, like, inside the one. Yeah. I think he's, you know, just he's so it. big. You're going to, you know, basically he has that nice little, like, Elmore lead where like, he'll take a step back and then go behind Elmore, which I appreciate. But um, when it's, like... You know the five to ten. Like I wish we had some more answers besides that and the now unavailable pop pass to Pierce. But uh, you know, hopefully we'll we'll figure it out. I mean, that swing to to Gabe Haran was really nice. That was a nice play. I mean, it, I, I was expecting Hackett to be more involved. The fact, I mean, I guess the fact that Haran was there it doesn't mean that Hackett won't be. It just might have. Was mattered. Hackett in on that play, or like uh, as I know that I don't know. I imagine he was on the other side because I think we were in that jumbo package. Yeah. Without Pierce, Hackett is the de facto starter. But um, after the game, I know Baber has basically said that, like, Haran's not the number three guy. So it was, I think, more just him being in the right place. But, uh, but I mean, he, looked, he made he made the most of his opportunities for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm interested to see how the tight end position works out because, like, realistically, I know you and I said that Pierce was going to be able to get more opportunities to be out wide and to be able to catch the ball. I felt like he was pulled into to uh, run blocking so much and pass blocking so much that he didn't really get those chances. So now you're seeing, like, at least on the, the depth chart that came out today, like Chris Elmore was listed as, you know, one of the three um, co-starting tight ends along with Hackett and uh, and Haran. Like, to me, like, I almost feel like this might be a better fit. It doesn't mean that we won't miss Pierce in the passing game, but I think based on how we haven't used him to, to the utmost this year... I don't think it's going to have as big of an impact as we as we think it would normally, and I think that it just means we're going to see more of Elmore out there. And really, like he he has become an incredibly good blocker um, in both pass and run situations. And yeah, you, the, that that formation you mentioned of him lining up kind of right next to Dungey, and just I think that's honestly what's kept Dungey in better health overall this year, and, and will keep him in better health is the fact that he doesn't have to necessarily you know do these diving leaps over over 300-pound linemen. But, you know, he basically just crowd surfs on Elmore's back to get into the end zone. Yeah, it's not the worst uh, strategy. I would I think we'd all like to see Elmore did a carry just for the fun of it. But, uh, I mean, it has worked to this point. I do think that eventually it'll we'll have to start showing some wrinkles. But, uh, you know, it could just be a thing where it hasn't really been stopped with any 
uh, great frequency yet, so we haven't had to kind of show those. Right. Yeah, and I mean, if you're Babers, like, I mean, you and I have said this too, like, I, we, I think we've honestly barely opened this playbook so far. And, like, that, that to me is really encouraging. And, it, I mean, the fact that we got to face Florida State, and I still don't think we really opened it that much either, like, we're going to have some tricks for Clemson, but I, I think Babers is being very smart about how he's deploying this playbook all year. I mean, we've had probably two really questionable quarters, but overall, like, I think he's done a really good job of not showing a ton and giving teams very little to scout because we've looked, we've looked different on offense each week, even if we've operated at similar efficiency levels. Yeah, I really don't think we've seen, like, we really haven't opened things up. Things have been pretty basic overall, and and you know a lot of that's just the fact that we've we've gone off to pretty hot first quarters overall, which is a credit to the team. Yeah, nice starts instead of the first two years where I felt like we started slow with a really nice like late second quarter, early third quarter. Minus then, the Florida State game where it was you know all in the third quarter, but still. Right. I'd say in general, like we uh, we're starting much better than than we have. I mean, even in the Florida State game, we were moving the ball, we just weren't punching it in. Um, but yeah, I uh, I definitely think that the fast starts are helping because it's forcing teams to play at our tempo, um, and that's really where like teams that 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 play up tempo football thrive is when you force teams to play at your speed because they have to catch up or else they're going to be left behind. So the more we can start fast, and if we're going to have any chance against Clemson, that uh, starting fast is uh, is key. So I guess on that note, to uh, kind of close us out here, um, Dan, I, I I know that you're not picking Syracuse to win, but how do you see this one playing out and maybe uh, give us a score? Um, I'm going to, th- I, I think Clemson's going to handle us, unfortunately. Like I, I think we'll come out, uh, we'll play hard, but Clemson, like I said, there, there's, I mean, no motivation gap here. We, we beat them last year. They're at home. This is, uh, you know, I know they had A&M earlier in the year. I don't think they've had like a huge home opponent yet. No, not that they have. Um, so like, they're really going to want this one. This isn't going to be your normal, like Syracuse Clemson game in terms of like, a late showing crowd or people who aren't into it. Like it, it'll be, it'll be a really tough environment. So I'm going to take i I'm going to take Clemson 45 to 21. I mean, that's a pretty good score. I, uh, yeah. So I have them covering, but by a little bit, I got 42, 27 Clemson. Uh, I think SU covers. I think that, that they cover in part because of like a late touchdown. I don't think they're really ever really out of it either though. As weird as that all seems, like I just think that like Clemson's going to try to to dominate early, uh, beat them in the trenches, gain a gain a decent lead, and then kind of coast if they can. And I think that like that that probably helps SU close the gap just in terms of a of a betting line standpoint. But yeah, I, I think SU probably commits a couple turnovers. Um, I think that Clemson's going to be able to get after Dungy pretty well. I think we're going to ha- struggle to run the ball as well as we have, and that's going to derail the offense a little bit. Um, I think this defense has shown a lot of a lot of cracks that haven't been exploited just yet, um, and I think they will be in this one. Um, I think Etienne's going to really carve us up inside. Um, I think that, that Lawrence is going to be able to throw the ball downfield on us because we're not going to be able to get the same sort of pressure on him that we've gotten on previous quarterbacks. I mean, one concerning thing I saw you know, against UConn early and it kind of continued throughout the game was uh, players really weren't wrapping up necessarily. They were doing a lot of that like typical... You know, like, I'm going to push you down or push you out of bounds instead of just, like, rapping. And, and every one of those, you know, went from maybe a, a two-yard gain to a five-yard gain. And that doesn't necessarily work against Clemson. Uh, 
I, I think that we, we, I'm sure they fixed some of that, but I'm sure that there's still some of it lingering. Um, I think just mistakes end up catching up to SU a little bit, and we've seen more mistakes than we did in the first two, um, and, and I think that that bites us. So, uh, yeah, give me, uh, give me that 42-27. Um, and, again, like that's not a bad thing. It's, it's, it's a loss to a team we, we would lose to nine times out of ten, um, and it sets us up, hopefully, you know, rebound, beat Pitt, maybe get ranked going into the bye week. So uh, let's hope for that. Just hope for that and uh, no injuries. Yeah, I mean, given where we were, like, in the polls uh, this uh, this week, I do think if we lose to Clemson respectably and then beat Pitt, like, solidly, I think we would have a very good chance of slipping in there. Yeah, I mean, 5-1 and one power conference team. Especially that coaching, the coaches ball where we were, I think, the third spot. We were, like, the 28th, essentially. Yeah. We were farther down in the... Uh, in the, the AP poll. We're a lot but, further uh, down for some reason. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't think either one was unfair. No, but, it was uh, fine. But I think there was a, a very good chance that we'd slip into the coaches' poll as long as we don't get, like, shellacked by Clemson. Well, people like Babers, and honestly, like, I, I'm sure that the, the handful of ACC coaches that are in there, like, gave us some love. So that's, I mean, who knows if, like, I know Dabo's voting, so maybe he doesn't give us any more love after we face them. I feel like he might have been hoping that we'd be ranked going in. But it happens. I, 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 I'm, I'm not too worried about it. I think if we win the games we're supposed to win, and in, we could potentially be ranked in October and end this god-awful 17-year streak. Oh, that'd be nice. It's been, it's been a long time coming. And this is, uh, I think the coaches' poll is probably the, the closest that we've been since I've been an SU fan. It's for the closest sure. we've like, been, I think, since at least 2003, if not, 2000, which, if not 2001. Which is nuts. Yeah, because we were... We were still like five or six out. I think we were five out after the West Virginia game um, back in 2011. I know we were like eight to ten out at least last year after the Clemson win. Yeah, th- this is definitely the closest we've been since at least 2003, if not t- the 2001 polls. Yeah, hopefully uh, that'd be a, a very nice place to get to. I think that'd be a huge accomplishment as well, even though it, like, it honestly doesn't really mean anything like on paper, but I think it's like one of those huge selling points um, oh, yeah. for recruiting. Like the fact that we haven't been in there is such a it's such a bad look. I think it's us in Indiana that have like been so far off, and they just took a big step back. I think if they had beaten Michigan State, they probably would have been ranked this week. Um, so it'd be nice to nice to break that streak for sure. Um, and I'm sure we'll see like a million recruiting graphics afterwards. Let's hope for it. Um, Dan, anything else this week uh, before we go? I. Uh... I don't know how much more I'm going to be around this week, but we will see. I, uh, I guess, fingers crossed, to be honest, that I'm not around much more this week because then I can actually watch the game on Saturday. Yeah, I, I, I guess, I guess that is the hope. <laughs> Hopefully, it, uh, everything goes 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 swimmingly, and uh, I don't know what the situation for the podcast will be next week, but we'll figure it out. I uh, think. I mean, you and Lewis could just do it if you want. <laughs> I've thought about that, or I could try to preds on the line. Yeah, um, it's me. We do both live in the same city, even though I think we live about a, an hour and a half apart. Um, but uh, we'll figure it out. Yeah, I, I, I have full faith we'll, in everybody. We will, we will have a podcast product next week of some sort. It might be me stumbling around trying to host it, but we'll figure it out. Fair enough. It's all we can ask for, Dan. <laughs> anyway, uh, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Blog Talk, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. And go orange. Go orange. 
Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com. At Jared, we know devotion isn't a once a year occasion. And once the flowers have wilted and the chocolates have disappeared, you'll still want them to know how much you care. Dare to give a gift that lasts this Valentine's Day with our incredible selection of jewelry. From delicate rose gold to bold black diamonds, Jared has hundreds of pieces under $299 and exclusive collections you won't find anywhere else. Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.